This is With You in the Weeds. Do you ever find yourself stuck in between what you know to be true and what you actually experience? Or the difference between where you are and where you want to be? Well, if so, you're in the weeds. And like weeds, those tough places keep coming back. I'm Lynn Rausch. And I'm John Tennant. As counselors, Lynn and I deal with those weeds all the time. Together, we designed this podcast because we want to be with you in those weeds, kind of like God desires to be with us. Hmm. Now, that idea will change everything. So we hope you'll listen in and let us be with you in the weeds. Let's get started. Okay, well, uh, we are in a series called Beliefs That Keep You Stuck. And we think this is really important because these beliefs can keep you stuck. And I think we're just about up into August this summer. It could be. Like July, August, something like that. And Shay is with me. Hi, Shay. Hi, John. And Lynn. Hey, John. And you, like years ago, told me that there's a curse in the month of August. (laughs) Yeah. That if if something's going to go wrong with your house, your car, whatever. Your air conditioning unit. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I noticed this pattern. Mm-hmm. That every August, it's the AC goes out, something. The car battery dies. Car battery dies yeah. or some major car repair. Kid gets sick. I don't know what it is. It's, maybe it's about the heat living in Missouri or whatever it is. You just keep track of it. August is the month. You just try to survive it. Well, I hope that our listeners don't experience what I've experienced since you told me that. <laughs> because you told me that about eight years ago, nine years ago when we started working together. And I kid you not, like, I dread August now. <laughs> so well, I don't know what the principle is, but... Maybe, here's the deal, maybe things go wrong every month and we don't think <laughs> about it, but it's Maybe like, that's it. We, we're just focused since I told you, you that. You know what the sad August. thing is, though? My birthday's in August. So he has this, like, theory about August being this horrible month, but that's when my birthday is. So that's not fair, but... It is what it is. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm glad your birthday is in Maybe August. Maybe there's truth to that. <laughs> well, my August has already come, and uh, we were chatting this morning before we hit the record button. I hope my August has come and gone, and August so. doesn't, like, really become a big crash. Yeah, we so. hope our listeners are having a great summer, but I am really glad that we're doing this series, Beliefs That Keep You Stuck, and today's belief is... The false belief is, if I obey God, then I won't suffer. And I think that this is a belief that many people have gotten stuck on, and I would include myself in that. Uh, We just have this thinking that if I follow God, pray hard enough, have faith, believe in God's promises, then essentially I'm buying into some type of like an insurance policy against suffering. And I can relate to this because Even though I was taught to follow God from an early age, and I definitely saw the benefit and the blessing of that being modeled to me, I I don't think that along with that, I was taught that if or when I encountered a trial or pain or even felt distant from God, that that also was a normal part of the Christian life. And so I think without a clear understanding of this, it's, it's easy to see why people get disappointed with God or have bitterness or resentment because they're 
essentially their spiritual mental map doesn't really have a category for this. Yeah, and, and Lynn, that includes Christians. I, I remember your dad um, telling me the story one time that he had met a, uh, a doctor in Kansas who deals primarily in, in treating people with uh, pancreatic cancer. Hmm. And, uh, and we know what a devastating disease, especially pancreatic cancer, can be. But um, this doctor, his comment uh, to your dad, Lynn, was often that it seems like Christians are the ones who don't handle it well. Mm. Um, they, they may think what, that God is going to heal them. Or more problematically, they believe that, you know what, I've done all the right things in life. I've obeyed God. I've lived a good Christian life. And, and so why is this happening to me? Uh, I wasn't supposed to get cancer. Yeah. Life wasn't supposed to turn out this way. Yeah, what's interesting, when I um, was listening to you, I remember a heart surgeon in Atlanta when I lived there years ago told me that he ran a stress group for recovering heart attack patients. And he told me, this is what he did. He looked at me with a twinkle in his eye because he knew I was a minister at the time. He goes, do you know what the most difficult person is in my group? The ones that have the hardest time talking about stress and admitting it? I said, no, I don't. He goes, the Presbyterians. <laughs> wow. And he knew I was a Presbyterian <laughs> minister, but he was making the same point that you're making. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Strange. Yeah. Did he say anything about the Pentecostals or no? No, was, he was, just singled was, out the Presbyterians. Presbyterians. Okay. okay. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it, it seems, right, that, that sometimes when, when Christians encounter suffering, and, and I, say, I say we here because I, I'm not pointing a finger at anyone. It, it, we all struggle with this. I struggle with this. I, I know, John, Len, you do as well. But uh, we do, I think, one of two things. First of all, we, we may double down on the spiritual disciplines like prayer and, mm. and Bible reading. Now, they're not bad things, but it's like we're kind of bargaining with God. Or secondly, what, what I've seen people do is, and, and I've seen this in my own life, is we can become bitter and, and walk away from God because of this false assumption um, I've been good and faithful, and this wasn't supposed mm. to happen to people like me. Mm. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, at the end of the day, we may know that we're saved by God's grace, but I think it's easy for us to kind of fall back into a works righteousness, that God blesses me because I do the right things. Mm -hmm. um, and, and isn't that kind of the story of the Bill Gothard movement that's been exposed in a recent documentary? Yeah. Yeah, you could pull it through that filter mm -hmm. if you want to. Very controlling person, I would say, a cult figure. And he just got people to buy into the promise that if you follow my principles, mm -hmm. your life will yeah. move up and to the right. Bad things won't happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If we just have certain habits, then bad things won't happen to us. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I was the um, chaplain for the Missouri football team for 12 years. And, uh, and, uh, I, I, I have great relationships with the, the former coaches and all that, but, but no one, I just got to admit this, no one is more superstitious than football coaches. <laughs> um, I, I remember they would, for example, uh, they would get their haircut on certain days, right? Um, that there were certain routines they followed because if they were winning, they didn't want to mess that up. And uh, you got to you got to remember it's it's tough making your living depending upon eighteen or nineteen year old kids to perform. But mm -hmm. 
when I was chaplain, one year Lynn got to go to the Georgia game with me and, and fly with the team. And, and Lynn, why don't you tell that story of yeah. you sitting with the wives? <laughs> we were sitting up in a really nice press box, and I was with the other coaches' wives, and we had been winning the game, you know, for the first half. And I don't remember scores like, like Shay does, but um, we were ahead, and I had been sitting in a certain spot and I was like eating potato chips or something. And then halftime happened and I went to the bathroom and came back and sat in a different chair in this press box. And then we started to lose once we started <laughs> playing it. And I remember the athletic director's wife, she's looking around the room. She goes, what's changed? We're doing something different. Lynn, you weren't sitting in that chair before. Go back and sit where you were sitting before and give her a bowl of potato chips. And I just, just was laughing to myself because I was like, surely they know that nothing I'm doing up here in the press box has any impact on the field. But I think it just speaks to that magical thinking that we have mm. that if we do something specific in the right way, then we can, you know, prevent a negative outcome from happening. I think that's pretty common. Yeah, we we great... did win that game, by the way, though. Because... Yes, maybe because I changed seats <laughs> there you and go. went back. There you go. I just want to point that out. But <laughs> It would have been awful had you dropped a potato chip on the basketball floor and one of them slipped and fell. And <laughs> well, it was a right? football game. It was game. a football game. So oh, okay. Okay. All right, well, it probably wouldn't have the same effect. But, <laughs> but, but here's the problem. Uh, is that many Christians believe that if they have their spiritual lives together, they won't experience pain or suffering in this life. So when things happen to them, they can't explain it or, 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 or think somehow they've failed God or maybe God has abandoned them or mm. is punishing them for some sin or, or some past sin or something that they've done. And, and so, guys, how have you seen this false assumption that if I'm just spiritual enough, or if I'm a Christian, these things shouldn't be going on in my life. I shouldn't be struggling with these things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, again, I'm so glad we're tackling this false belief here because, you know, what I've come to understand as I've matured in my faith is that being a Christian doesn't prevent or buffer you from suffering. But I do think in the early stages of our spiritual development, we kind of see the Christian life as a set of rules. And if we keep the rules, then there will be some sort of guaranteed outcome. And I see this a lot with my clients. So you said, Shay, you know, where do we see this show up? You know, clients come in and they have a strong need to control the people or the circumstances in their lives because they live with maybe a pervasive sense of anxiety that you know, if I do everything right, follow the rules, rules, then I can control everything and I can avoid bad things happening. I can avoid pain and suffering. And naturally, they're exhausted because we know that we can't fix, change, or control anyone else. And not only that, when you think about it, there's actually very little that we can control in life. And as we grow in spiritual maturity and we face hardships in life, we we really come to see this reality much more sharply. And I can personally speak to this that for a long time I I think my relationship with God was somewhat of an equation. And I don't even think I was consciously aware of it until I started to hit painful unwanted circumstances in my life. But the equation went something like this. If I obey God with my life, and then think of like a little equal sign, 
then on the other side of that equation, he is going to give me what I want. You know, he's going to bless me. And so I wasn't very well prepared when deep longings or needs that I had were going unmet or unwanted circumstances came my way because it just didn't match up with this equation in my head. And so I became disillusioned and I began to see God as distant and uncaring. So I think that that equation is something that maybe you guys can relate to or our listeners can relate to. All right. Yeah. You talk about that equation. And I have a story that really fits with this. I went through a period of time in my early 20s where I pretty much followed that equation. Mm -hmm. And I think it's attractive because, quite frankly, there is a lot about it that works for a while. Hmm. And it works until it doesn't work. Right. Um, so you can really get kind of caught up in the illusion of, hey, if I just do this, mm. then I'll get this result. And I guess that works with like weightlifting and dieting and getting a college degree, but it doesn't work so well in the realm of relationships and with God. And it seems to be quite the opposite. But... The personal story I have on this is I came to know Jesus um, when I was 18, and I had come out of a pretty rough background, and I went to the extreme, and it was a good extreme. I was very much in love with what God had done in my heart, started studying the Bible, leading Bible studies, went on a missions trip, uh, got into college and started majoring in Greek and Greek translation. I was doing everything right, mm -hmm. and I decided I'm going to go to seminary, and I'm called to the ministry, and I think it was very genuine. Uh, at the same time, uh, I had wanted to be married since I was about 15, so I started dating a girl, got engaged, and uh, we dated long distance during my first year in seminary, and she had uh, been raised by a pastor, and she was a serious Christian, and I was a serious Christian, and we were just going to tackle the world and do ministry together. And it, she really lined up with everything I wanted. Mm -hmm. And I was convinced, just convinced, that this is God's woman for my she life. She was the one. And I've done everything right, mm. and I'm a good guy, and now God is blessing me with a good woman. So very surprisingly, six weeks before we went down and pledged vows at the altar, she sent me literally a Dear John letter, because my name oh. is John. <laughs> and it was literal. Oh, I'm sorry. And this is after two years wow. of like seriously dating, engagement. We had all the invitations sent out, mm -hmm. all the plans set in place. Um, I had gotten there. Uh, her parents' blessing. Wow. Mm -hmm. Everything was just lining up. And I get this letter six weeks before we were to be married, and it started Dear John. And I can remember it. I have it visualized. It was three paragraphs. And basically, she said, I've never really loved you, and I can't go through with this. I hope you understand. Oh, wow. ouch. It was extremely ugly. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to spare a lot of details, but my world absolutely came crashing down. Mm -hmm. And I tried to convince her that you're making a big mistake here. This is God's will. And we even went to counseling for mm -hmm. a while. And one of the counselors there had been exposed, you mentioned Bill Gothard, mm -hmm. like to the Bill, Bill Gothard kind of movement, you know, do everything right and you get this certain result. And 
he looked at us and he said, look, if you're following this kind of a, a modicum, he said, it's BS. It doesn't work. Wow. And I was really glad to hear that. Mm. And she was pretty much uh, locked into that kind of thinking in some ways, very rule oriented. Turns out it's the biggest blessing in my life that yeah. she didn't marry me. Hmm. But I was really convinced that God had tricked me hmm. because I did everything right. So I packed up my bags, didn't get married that summer, went home, and my dad told me, you need to start painting my house. That was his answer. <laughs> like, I understand you're crushed, son, and you're depressed. He said, you need to paint my house. Hmm. And so I stayed at home all summer painting this house, and I was so depressed. Mm. And I thought, I am in so much pain, I would rather die. Mm. And I remember going out in the backyard, getting down on my knees at one point, and I took my fist, looked at the sky, and shook my fist at the sky, and I said, God, you have betrayed me, and I hate you for this. Mm. And I remember, when, right as I said that, I really was ashamed and I felt scared because now I'm rejecting God. Mm -hmm. You know, what is my hope? But I really felt I have to be honest about this because God sees this in my heart. And I wrestled that summer with Psalm 68, 5. What does it mean that God is a father to the fatherless? And God, you're my father and I feel like you have pulled the rug out mm -hmm. from underneath my feet. And I read books on the will of God, and I tried to figure out everything that I had done wrong to get it right. And I actually went through a two- to three-year period finishing seminary, really confused over this. Yeah, um, it, it wasn't a quick turnaround. But the one thing that I do think that was a catalyst for me making the shift was that moment when I said, God, you've betrayed me, and I hate you for this. <laughs> Because that was bringing my raw heart to him. Mm. And we'll talk about this in a minute. He took me up on it mm -hmm. and he wouldn't let me go. And he mm -hmm. let me fight with him. I appreciate you just being open and honest and sharing that yeah. story, John. I mean, that's, that's really, really powerful. Um, not to be flippant here, but did you get the ring back? Oh, shit. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I, my goodness. I it's did. It's a legitimate question, Lynn. I did. When I got that Dear John letter, I packed my bags and I drove 350 miles and I got to her apartment two in the morning and I said, you cannot do this. We are engaged. You can't do this. And she just stood there and she said, I can and I have to. And I was crushed. And I said, give me the ring back. Whoa. Wow. Wasn't and, there a jeweler in Missouri that said they'd buy the- Buy yeah. the ring back if she says no. Yeah, well, it was Woody they'll... Justice down Springfield. He used to have an ad campaign that said, if you buy a ring from me and she <laughs> says no, I'll buy it back from you. Well, they make money and, on and, this. Yeah, so and I thought, That's, that policy. guy's in my corner. That's, that guy's yeah. looking out for me. Ka-ching. Here's absolutely. another broken heart. Absolutely. But yeah, no, that is a powerful story, John. Well, you know but... what I did after I said, give me the ring back? I went to this seedy hotel. It was three in the morning. And I lay on this bed, every bad movie you've ever seen with a CD hotel. And back then, there wasn't even a phone in that room. And I got up at four in the morning, walked outside under a big 
street lamp and called her from a payphone. Oh, my. And I said, you can't do this. Oh, my goodness. The story continues. Yes. I, oh, yeah. wow. Well, yeah. it was really crushing. Yeah. And that, yeah. all of that energy came out toward God like, mm. you've tricked me because yeah. I followed mm. your rules mm-hmm. and this isn't supposed to happen. Yeah, I have a story, not not quite as powerful as that, but I can think of, you know, I can think of several times in my life where I've kind of fallen into this thinking. Um, you know, very on, early on, um, when I became a Christian in college, I went on my very first mission trip and for the summer and went to Hungary. God did great things in my life. I was growing like a weed in my faith. Um, but that meant that I didn't work that summer. And so the day I got back, I found out that I'd been turned down for a loan that I'd applied to for school to continue to, to stay in school at Mizzou. And so that next semester, I, I remember here I am. I had to um, work more. I was working something like 50 hours a week. I was carrying a full load of classes. There was no Christian fellowship. I <clears throat> I became resentful of mm. other Christians who I knew were wealthier than I was and didn't have to work and who I thought, you know, they've got it a lot easier than I've got it in life. And and I remember thinking at that point, God, you've let me down. Here I, I go on a mission trip to tell Hungarians about Christ, and this, look, look what happens to me. And I remember just saying, I'm done with this. I, I'm sick and tired of it. And and I, and I walked away, and in fact, it got so bad that some of my friends had a uh, kind of coming back from Christianity party for me at a bar one, <laughs> one night where they're <laughs> oh toasting me. I mean, it got, and, really? and when they were doing that, in my heart, I knew. I mean, this is God's Spirit working in my life. I, I knew this is not right. Hmm. I, know, I knew that the gospel is true, that Jesus is who he says he is, and this isn't right. I'm, not, I'm going down a path that's not going to... To glorify him or, or to make me happy. And and God brought me back, thankfully. But, you know, tragedy can cause us to become bitter and walk away from the Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, I think one thing that we need to address here is where does this false belief come from? We all seem to have picked it up along the way somewhere. So where does this stem from? Yeah, it's in my heart, Shay. It's in your heart. I mean, we've shared those stories. I think there's a deep core part in our hearts that really wants to have a negotiated relationship with God. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, I would rather barter and deal with God than be fully dependent upon him and receive his grace and submit to his leadership. Yeah, Uh, The old reformer Martin Luther, um, he said, I myself now have been preaching and cultivating the gospel of grace for 20 years. And I still feel the old clinging dirt of wanting to deal so with God that I may contribute something and he will have to give me his grace in exchange for my holiness. Wow. And I think that's a very, very deep place Mm. in our hearts. Mm -hmm. And we underestimate how much we resist grace at the core of our being. Mm -hmm. Just as an anecdote, uh, in current AA circles, they will tell you Almost every group will tell you that the biggest stumbling block to growth is accepting the very first step. Mm -hmm. And the very first step is this. We admitted we were powerless. Our lives had become unmanageable. That's Mm -hmm. the very first step, and that is the hardest one that every person experiences. It goes right back to that we would really rather be in control. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I also think of, you know, that's the heart of the, in some sense, the health-wealth gospel, right? Mm-hmm. If you just have enough faith, the burden is put on you, then God 
uh, must bless you, that, that idea of bargaining with him or having enough faith, and, and, and so you should prosper um, in, in terms of your, your financial situation or your, you shouldn't get sick or all those kind of things. Um, I also think it can come from where we misinterpret passages. Like mm-hmm. I, I remember you know, hearing and, and quoting so many times when I was in ministry with Campus Crusade, John 10.10, 10. Right, Jesus said, "The thief comes to kill and steal and destroy." Jesus said, "I came that they might have life and have it abundantly." Mm. Well, what does the abundant life mean? So mm. sometimes I think people can misinterpret that and think that means health and that means wealth and yeah. that my life will turn out the way I want it to. But maybe the abundant life is just knowing Him and 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 possibly even going through suffering, that, which we're going to talk about. Yeah, possibly. Well, <laughs> I mean, Jesus went through a lot. Right. Of it. Right. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about how the scriptures really point to that in the book of Job. We'll be right back in a jiffy, but we want to take a quick pause to say thank you. Thank you so much for listening in. If you like what you're hearing, think about texting this episode to a friend and find us on Instagram at with you in the weeds. So let's do it this way. Let's tackle this assumption by looking at a story from the Bible and, and what it teaches us uh, about suffering. Um, it's a familiar story maybe to many of us, and that's the story of Job. Okay, So remember, <clears throat> we're told that, that Job was a righteous man. Now, that doesn't mean that he was sinless, but he was a worshiper and, and he was a follower of God. He even offered, we're told, burnt uh, sacrifices to God in case someone in his family sinned. But remember, uh, Job 1 tells us that God uh, one day has the angels parade in front of him, and one of those angels is Satan. And God says to Satan, he says, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan says back to God, now this conversation is taking place in heaven, but, but Satan says back to God, he says, well, the only reason why Job follows you and worships you is because you bless him in, in so many ways. Take away those blessings and he will curse you. And, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, Job, we know in the story, he loses right everything. He loses all of his money. He he loses uh, his children end up dying, and his wife at the end of this says to him, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? Um, and I've always thought about that story. It's kind of interesting that he loses everything except his wife. Uh, and she's the one that ends up adding to his misery, let's right? Let's not go there, Shay. God lets her stay <laughs> into his life. That's a that's a worth the price of admission. Yeah, right that's there. exactly right. But um, <clears throat> so here's Job. He's lost everything. He's lost his kids. He's lost his money. He's 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 lost his physical health. Right. He's he's broken out in boils. And his friends come to him, and they offer him some advice. And, and one of the things that they say to him is found in Job 22, verses 21 and 22. But they say this, Submit to God and be at peace with him. In this way, prosperity will come to you. Accept instruction from his mouth and lay up his words in your heart. 
And if you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. If you remove wickedness far from your tent. And so what's the advice that his friends are given to him? They're saying, hey, why don't you concentrate on God's word, right? Read your Bible, Job. And why don't you repent of the sin that must be in your life? Because that's the reason why God has brought this Mm. suffering to you. He's punishing you for something. You must have done something wrong. Mm. In in other words, the message is that he gets is that the remedy for your pain is to repent and study his word. You suffer because you failed spiritually. God is punishing you. God must be mad at you. So get your act together, and God will bless you. But God rebukes Job's friends. He, he says this, I am angry with you because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So here's God himself rebuking Job's friends for what they had said to Job. And yet, guys, every day Christians believe they're suffering because they've done something wrong. Now, here's a little caveat that I think we need to remember. It is true, right, that we find in Scripture, uh, Peter, in in the book of 1 Peter, for example, tells us that sometimes, right, we do suffer for our sins. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he says it's one thing to suffer for being a thief or a murderer or a meddler. In other words, someone who's always going around getting involved, uh, gossiping, getting involved in other people's stories, sometimes that comes back on you, right? (laughs) You end up suffering as a result. And and we've all experienced this. You know, we can think of sins that we've done, and we we live with the consequences of our disobedience to God. Um, We cause pain in our own lives because of our disobedience. But Peter says sometimes we suffer for doing good. Sometimes, right, the the culture isn't just, they're not going to like us because we're followers of Jesus. That's the point of the book of 1 Peter. Everything about this is counterintuitive. Right. Mm -hmm. It's asymmetrical because we flip it to, well, I'm not doing bad things, so Mm -hmm. if I do good things, I should be blessed, and it doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. And that just feels so unfair to us. Unsettling, yeah. Yeah, but here's the main idea or the big idea I want you to catch. God tells us we will experience pain and suffering in this world, even if we are following him. Being a Christian doesn't exclude us from pain in this world. Look at Job. Uh, Look at Jesus himself. And and so why do we experience pain and suffering? Uh, We think since God is all good and all powerful, he will prevent evil. But just because God is all good doesn't mean he will prevent all evil. Why not? Well, what if God, in his wisdom, knows that the existence and occurrence of evil is necessary to bring about something greater, a a greater good, if you will? Now, sometimes we don't, this side of heaven, get to see what that greater good is, right? Job, for example, was never told about this conversation that God and Satan had in heaven. He was never told. Job perhaps finds out in heaven why all this had happened to him. But sometimes suffering happens in our lives, and and this is a little bit of a preview of our, our, our next episode, but maybe suffering happens to deepen our trust in God. Maybe it's to show us what's important in life. 
Maybe suffering occurs to help us to grow in our character. Maybe it's to cause us to long for 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 Jesus to return and bring about uh, justice that he's going to bring about uh, to other people who have harmed us. There's lots of reasons why God, uh, a greater good, if you will, why God may bring suffering into our lives. Um, and that's exactly what we see God doing many times in the Bible, isn't it? To, to bring about a greater good. Yeah, and we'll get into part two, kind of how to make sense of suffering. Um, but one of the things that strikes me as you describe Job is there's no simple formula to it, and mm-hmm. it just feels so unfair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Tim Keller talks about like Christianity having the most sophisticated explanation of suffering, and involved with that is a lot of mystery, because you have to depend upon God. He gets the ultimate say. And I did not know, going back to my story, what I know now. And it's 30 years later. And what I know now is that was God's plan. It Mm. was perfect. I am so thrilled that I did not marry that woman. But I couldn't see through my pain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Os Guinness says we underestimate what God will do in 20 years. We overestimate what he'll do in one. Yeah. We we just don't have perspective. Yeah, I'm so glad that we're talking about this. And I just want to clarify something, too, that has come to me as we're talking about this issue. I think we project onto God our human understanding of the role of a parent. As a parent, I don't want to see my child in pain, and I will do anything to step in and to prevent or to avoid that. And so we know that God is sovereign, and we don't understand why doesn't he step in? Why doesn't he prevent certain things from happening? But yet, you know, like you were saying, Shay, I think there is maturing and character development that occurs through pain that really only that pain can bring. And so, yes, there is unavoidable suffering living in a fallen world that we're going to face. And we do need to differentiate that between unnecessary suffering. Mm -hmm. Like, I did this to myself, you know, I'm now living out the consequences Mm -hmm. of it. So I think that's a really good distinction to make. But let's just kind of finish this by, you know, um, going back to why does this belief sound so true? And why are we so tempted to believe it? Because ultimately, we want to feel in an uncontrollable, chaotic world, that there is some kind of control that we have. Mm -hmm. And that bleeds over into our relationship with God. Uh, The old theologian Francis Schaeffer, I love this line. He said, when you come to Christ, it's real simple. You're empty-handed, and you're like, God, all I have to offer is my brokenness, and I want to receive your love and forgiveness. And then he goes on, he says, the real trick is keeping your hands empty after you come to Christ. <laughs> we tend to fill them up with like, look what I can do, and mm-hmm. I can control this and that. It is just a fault line in our heart. Yeah, mm-hmm. and We I've, believe the gospel mm-hmm. to become Christians, but then it's hard to believe the gospel when we're Christians, right? Exactly. We, we fall back <laughs> into that works righteousness. Yeah. I, I think that's the work of the enemy, and he plays off of this peace in our heart that just wants control. And I think the reason why this is sort of near to us as therapists and pastors is we talk to people all the time where we see this false belief playing out in their lives. They had the equation in their head. It's not working out. And now they're angry. They're bitter. They are turning their back against God. They feel despairing. They feel crushed. And we want to normalize people and like, we get it. 
And these are beliefs that we, you know, pick up implicitly along the way. But we want to see what is a better belief. And so we hope that you turn in, tune in to our next episode on this topic. Yeah. And I just want to, you know, end by saying, you know, we look at Job and, you know, I it, I just, my, my prayer for myself, my, my prayer for anyone going through suffering is, God help us in some sense to be like Job, that where he... You know, he, he that famous statement where he says, naked I came into the world, naked I'll, I will leave, but, but I will praise the name of the Lord forever. And may God just give us enough, the faith and, and to understand his grace that when we do suffer, that, that we would hold on to him and that we would see that he is enough and he will be enough. And that's really hard to believe. And so we need God to give us hearts that that hold on to him in, in difficult times when suffering comes. Absolutely. All right. So next week, the naked truth mm. we'll see about suffering and how to deal with it. Yeah. Sounds good. Thanks for letting us be with you in the weeds of life. We want this resource to bring you hope and to help bridge the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Follow us on Instagram at With You in the Weeds. If you like what you're hearing, text the episode to a friend, like us, and leave a review. Until next time, remember God is with you in the weeds.